What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? Today, for episode 171, I believe it is, Drew and I are finally wrapping up, finally wrapping up a series, or at least the currently published portion of the series that started Inking Out Loud back in October of 2018. It is time to talk everything about David Farland's fantasy epic, The Rune Lords, because we have now finished book eight, Chaos Bound. It's out of the way. Our last half of the book is done. We can talk about this series as a whole now with no holds barred. So let's dive straight into today's discussion, starting, of course, with Drew's recap. My friend, where did Farland tragically leave us? <laughs> Alrighty. In the final pages of The Rune Lords, as we know it, the Borenson family arrives in Internook and shakes the foundations of Rofhaven. The prophecy of Oth Ulber is widespread now, and as he heads into town to buy supplies, he is quickly recognized. Wormlings waste no time attacking him, and he's overwhelmed by a couple of rune lords. Though he kills a couple, he is captured, and Kroll Maldor sets up an elaborate gladiatorial execution for him in the hopes that he can overcome the challenge and break free. The rest of the Borenson clan heads into town, looking for him, and Rain meets a young barbarian named Wolfgard, who happens to be a member of the Brotherhood of the Wolf. He and his friends attack the Wormlings after Borenson wins his bout, and the timely aid of Kroll Maldor allows them to defeat the Wormlings and escape. A rush ensues to grant Af Ulber and several other champions endowments, with the goal of raiding the main Wormling fortress and freeing all the dedicates held there. Kroll Maldor watches in a crow, learning their plans, and lays a trap. Despite her preparations, however, Af Ulber and Wolfgard succeed in destroying the Wormling defenses. Kroll Maldor, after facing down Ulber, promises revenge on him. In the aftermath of the battle, Rain and Draken get married, Af Ulber races across Internook, killing the remaining Wormlings, and Kroll Maldor finds her time to strike. She corners Mirama, alone and unarmed, and kills her. Othulber returns to the sad news, consumed with rage and grief. Hmm. And we're done the Rune Lords. And we're done with the Rune For Lords. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in case it's not immediately obvious by my tone of voice, I I was not in any way, shape, or form really impressed with this book or pleased with the last one that we got um, out of Farland before he tragically passed away, because I feel like the next thing he had coming was going to be a lot better. This, I don't know what this was. This was good in some areas, but overall, mostly just very confusing for me um, as a reader. How about you? Uh, I wouldn't say I was confused by the book, but I was also very disappointed. Confused uh, about the choices, I should specify. It's confused yes. about the choices that went into it, yeah. That makes a lot more sense to me. Sorry, uh, I, I should have elaborated on that. Yeah, this... I mean, I feel like I talked about this a good bit on the last episode, but finishing the book really hammered it home. Like, I don't think this book should exist. Like, I don't think it should be part of the main Rune Lord sequence, is how I feel. It should be, like, a side one, you know? Or, or it should have been condensed and woven into the previous two books sure like you know we should have gotten some off older points of view you know and maybe some yeah. rain points of view yeah, but it happened concurrently like i, I mean it yeah it could have worked 
like sort of concurrently, but also stretched way past where we left off in the Wormling Horde because yeah, because it was like at one point there's like months, uh, yeah. you know. Othilber was thinking and, about Falian being in the prison for like fifty something days at that point, and I'm like, whoa, that's yeah. a lot longer. Yeah, like th- this is. So it did go past, um, but like especially where we left off in the Wormling Horde, having this one go that far in advance and just explain nothing about what happened with the people we've really cared about over the last three books mm-hmm. was such a narratively unsatisfying thing to deal with. Like, I, as a reader, I ended this book with zero satisfaction. Yeah, I think I agree. And it's even more frustrating because this is the second to last book in the series. Like, there is so, there's so much that that needs to be wrapped up in the last book. You know? And, and yeah. we just wasted whatever, 100,000 words, you know... 350 pages in my hardcover on stuff that doesn't really seem to be affecting the main plot. Like we, like I said, like we could have just gotten a few Othelber points of view woven in over the, over the course of the previous two books and been left in the same situation of like, okay, we know that he's got all these endowments and he's merged with Borenson and, uh, there's this prophecy that he's going to go kill the emperor. Mm. Uh, okay, cool. Now let's get to bringing all these parts together and telling the story we want to know about, you know, Falion and Lord Despair and Rihanna, you know, like, uh, Volgnash, Volgnash, oh like, what's going on with Dalen Hammer, Sissel. You know? I want all of that. Yeah. Like, it's, oof. Oof. Uh, it's, it's yeah, things. this was this was one of the most disappointing books we've read on the show in quite a while. Yeah, and I, I hate to say it, it does hurt to say it because I remember all of the wonder and, and enthusiasm I came out of Sons of the Oak with. You know the the dichotomy mm-hmm. between <laughs> that, yeah. uh, that 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 feeling and how I how I end how I closed Chaos Bound is really st- it's just it's it's night and day. You know, the only character in this book I, for a, at any point, really felt invested in was Mirama, I think, unless I'm forgetting yeah. somebody. And God, she she really did not emerge, you know, on in any better place out of this one. That's for sure. I mean, she just oh. got just like what she just got <laughs> cast aside. So as as another reason to to give Oth Ulber uh, more pain and more motivation, and then just yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know, man really sad little, what the heck man that's my that's my name in this discord called drew's there with drew and i have what the hell farland except it's not quite as yeah uh you know like as we're talking here i just <laughs> uh realized i'm i'm completely changing my three favorite scenes um yeah yeah i'm doing a thing with my three favorite you're gonna love it i think okay okay uh, um Wait, dang it. Now I just totally forgot what one of the two was that just popped into my head. I can give you uh, a few suggestions. Oh, no, I got it. I got it. <laughs> ah, goodness gracious. I'm ready to go uh, into characters. Honestly, my st- I'm sure you have more style points. I'm going to let you take it from there on style because I w- I'm just so flabbergasted by the choices that went into writing this book and making it part of the main Rune Lord sequence and including it at this place so close to the end of the series. I'm, I'm just blown away by it unfortunately and not in a good way 
Yeah, uh, I do have a few. Um, I have a few little like style points, uh, but mostly, mostly it's just stuff that I've talked about on the last episode with just my utter bafflement at his bafflement structural choices and and my kind of disappointment in how inconsistent this is uh, in terms of things as basic as terminology. Like uh, I brought up, you know, how there are like liches all of a sudden and they're referring to things that we've known as in the past or we've known in the past as not liches. They're calling them liches now. And like more than the last book in the Wormling Horde. I'm already forgetting Death Lords, right? Death Lords. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, and and they're being described as whites now as well. Uh, and it's yeah, like, yeah. Where that? that <laughs> yeah, know, like man. whites as we saw them in the uh, in Wizardborn uh, back in the first series were something different. You know, like they don't have bodies at all. They're literally just like the lingering specters of dead people. And here, there's like they wear clothes and have like sort of bodies and like they can wear skin and and they can take over other people's bodies like like this is all i don't know it, it came so out of nowhere and then he, it's like he's trying to retroactively say oh well i've had this all along yeah even though that doesn't line up out of um, nowhere is a really good way to explain a lot of the things that leave me confused in this book yeah yeah uh and and i i think i mentioned it last week um, things like he just got names wrong. Like there's one point where they talk about the geography and he says, Castle Quorum is near the border with Longmont. And like Longmont isn't anywhere near, like, first off, Longmont is the name of a castle, not a country. And that country is like two countries away from where Castle Quorum is in Mystaria. And then things like in the, in the, um, the epigraphs, like right here, I'm looking at chapter 23, the epigraph, uh, for that one is attributed to King Mendelus Val Orden. His name was Mendelus Draken Orden. Gaborn Val Orden was his son. Oh, Val came from his didn't mother. Didn't catch that one. Nice. Yeah. Like if you go back to the first Rune Lords book, it's King Mendelus Draken Orden, not King Mendelus Val Orden. You know, and like, and he talks about how like the marriage of Gaborn's mother and father was a big deal because it married the houses of Val and Orden. And like, I don't know. It's like, it, I, it, it's just so inconsistent. This book is, is jarringly out of place on every level with the rest of the series. Mm. But especially with the rest of the series. Yeah. I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. Disappointed. So, at the moment. Yeah. But it had its, high, it, it had its moments though. There were a few moments I'll be getting to that. It wasn't entirely bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely was not entirely bad, but it's like, and like you said, it really sucks that this is what we're left with. Uh, and I really, really hope now that uh, Wolverton's estate, his family can figure out uh, somebody to step in and finish A Tale of Tales. And hopefully we get a much more satisfying conclusion to this series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Could you see that being split up? You were talking about how much has l yet to be wrapped up. I mean, I mean, I, I don't I would, know. I would, I would like to see that explored. I don't think it. Well, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. I'm getting way ahead of myself here. I'm yeah, just like, throwing I, out a wide on, net. Yeah, on previous episodes, how like um, I'm pretty sure the final book is going to be a lot longer 
than any of these previous books in the, uh, you know, the post world binding, mm-hmm. like these are all pretty, pretty slim volumes, maybe a hundred thousand words, 80 to a hundred thousand words. And I expect if, and when a tale of tales comes out, it'll be more like 200 or 250,000. Uh, but at the same time, like, from what I've heard, he he was about like 80% done with it. So like, you know, there isn't hopefully that much more work to do on it if they do yeah. decide to find somebody to finish it off. Um, yeah, yeah. Hmm. The, the, I thought of another one. Just I want to I want to do a, a like a series retrospective on just like the grim dark and the graphic content here even if we just spend a couple minutes on it interesting okay yeah let's talk this this was a book past the like beyond the point where i officially felt like it was it was saturated in logical graphic content you know there were there were moments with auth will bear particularly like in the arena or when he's shaking the guy's corpses and all of the awful as i learned a new word today i'll bring that one up early is just spilling out and you see all their organs are flying everywhere i'm just I'm I'm thinking in that moment I'm like we are getting ter- like like kind of terrifyingly close to Terry Goodkind levels of gratuity and the violence and even if I'm being completely incorrect about that everyone has different opinions on that of course being in the same mental company even mental beat for a second as someone like Terry Goodkind it's not a good place to be in I think in terms of graphic content like gratuitous graphic content I thought it was just a little too much every like, the whole persona of Auth Ulbert just felt like we, we constantly needed to be shown again and again that he's a really violent person and the whole loss of agency with the whole berserker rages thing i just kind of i don't really don't like what i did to one of my favorite characters in the first arc of the of the first series it's just i don't know i don't like where it took us i should say i'll wrap it up with that so uh, yeah i guess there's two points that i want to address there Go ahead. Uh, yes so i find that really interesting that you have such a problem with the graphic content in this like i don't i don't think this is anything i don't think this it's is bad at all how like, it's the manner in which it's used it's just it's constantly used as like a reminder i don't know yeah i, I feel like that's a, a good use of it like mm. if it's just there to shock you like in good kind or in in martin or something like that uh or night angel uh like that's oh, when boy. it gets over the top and and i dislike it but here like i didn't even think the graphic content was all that graphic to be honest with you like when like i, I think it it's was worse previously not as it's not as graphic as something like uh foundry side or or divine cities much less the acts of cain or the gap cycle yeah it's not the like again it's not the, the level to which it was for me i'm i'm, I'm trying to it's how simple and how much of off bear's character was defined by that violence and how it was constant it was, for me it was like just i, I don't know there it was he was constantly killing. He was constantly ankle deep in gore. It felt to me throughout this entire book. And I wanted to see other aspects of his character explored. I just, again, it kind of ties into my feelings with Borenson and how I don't really feel like that character got, I don't know. It feels like he got supplanted. Like he got taken over. He got commandeered. Well, he definitely did. Yeah. And it's all tied to me. I don't know why mentally I've tied it in with this berserker rage and all this graphic violence. It seems like a recurring beat. That's a little simple for me. I wanted to see more. Okay. Um, I, I guess like the one thing that I would say stands out to me about like the dark tone of this half of the series 
is that there hasn't been a real victory for the good guys in three books. Like, we had a victory at the end of uh, Sons of the Oak, where Asgaroth is killed and Shadowath is injured and, you know, they got to grow up in peace and land has fallen. But then starting with Worldbinder, it's just defeat after defeat after defeat. And even when they like win a minor victory, there's immediately a setback. Like uh, in Worldbinder, for instance, they they get a victory. I do air quotes on that when Sissel kills the Death Lord by like caving in the wall and using the sunshine on it. But like they lost Kaira Luciare. They lost, uh, they were double crossed in the prisoner swap. Like Falion is captured. Jazz is killed. Like it's, it's a pretty sound defeat for the good guys. And then in the Wormling Horde, they rescue Falion and, and, and then immediately have to give him up again. And even though, yeah, we, Sissel made Vulgnash mortal, that's completely overwhelmed by the fact that the world is now getting invaded by like legions of darkling glories and chaos oracles and, and you know, Rihanna just built herself up to be another Rasha 10. And then immediately her dedicates are getting killed. And, and there's no real hope coming from that. And then here, you know, we have a, a victory where they defeat the wormlings on Internook, but that's, chump change to the wormlings basically it was seventy thousand wormlings and there are millions of them in the world and now across the worlds and it ends with Merima getting killed so it's like it it feels like a narrative that's kicking us when we're down it's bleak it's very bleak yeah and and that's why it feels to me like there is so much ground that needs to be covered in the final book to make it all feel worth it perhaps yeah yeah i agree with that too I'm, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, style more. You have anything else? Shall we go straight on to awful bear or what's up? Yeah. Let's, let's go on to characters. <clears throat> See if I can more just, uh, yeah. Better justify what I'm trying to articulate here. I just, I don't, I don't know with, with everything that we got out of Sir Bornson previously, not in the second half, of course, we haven't heard of him until now but in, in the first series. This just felt so, why it's so weird and unsatisfying to see one of the strongest and greatest developed characters just get co-opted to tell this other tale and off old bear may have been a satisfying character for me i think that the, the pieces are there i if he was his own person perhaps and like if he and sir bordenson weren't linked in any way if he just had his own narrative entirely this i felt like this was just this kind of awkward forced amalgamation of these two characters and the accelerated mythology of his coming and the nebulous origin of that it's just it's just a meh for me and precisely because of how strong of a character bornson was before this that meh turns into a total what the hell for me yeah (sighs) um yeah like it's i get I, i get why he wanted to have bornson kind of get subsumed into auth ober because this was a kind of a criticism I brought up at the beginning uh, of Chaos Bound, and I think I may have even touched on it at the end of Wormling Horde, is that like Borenson's character arc was complete. 
you know, like he, he had gone through his life. He had found his battles. He had overcome his, his problems and discovered peace and happiness. And so having an entire book of a character like that, like you, you would have to really manufacture something for, for him to have a conflict or else have him regress as a character, which in and of itself is unsatisfying. But by having him get combined and kind of subsumed into Oth Ulber, now we have a new character who can come with new conflicts. And that's not only easier to write, but more, or should be, on, on the surface, should be more satisfying to a reader. The problem is, like you said, it feels like a betrayal of a beloved character. Hmm. Betrayal. I don't. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I just the Sons of the Oak, Mirma and Bordenson. Some of those scenes were so heartfelt, and so wholesome, and so endearing. And I to think that that came to this, and I can see why it would be more tragic that it came to this. And now Bordenson's got more dedication, more more motivation going forward. But I don't know. This is not where I saw this going when I saw these two kind of revived <laughs> in Sons of the Oak for lack of a better term, I was like, Oh, okay. We're starting something new and big. And one was cut really short and the other was completely transformed. And I don't know. I'm a little meh. Yeah. I don't know. It's like, like I didn't have, like if this were the first book in a series, if this were the first book in, uh, in the science of the earth series, like if, if this was book five, I probably would have way less of a problem with it. I think I agree with that too. Yeah. <laughs> um, like it's not that Oth Ulber isn't an interesting character and doesn't have compelling conflicts because he does, but it's hard to care about them when so much of me is like hung up on unresolved conflicts with other <laughs> characters that I, I think, cared about more. Yeah. I, I think 90% of my issue with this book is that it immediately follows and only because it immediately follows the Wormling Horde. Yeah, that, that's think, a big issue. <laughs> yeah, I think so, honestly. And I'm obviously I'm going into the weeds about trying to find specific reasons, trying to pick apart my feelings about Othel Bear and my fe- like just feeling of let down by him. But yeah. overall, the magnitude of my issue is still highly towards the fact that it's just, it, this is book eight out of nine. And mm-hmm. we left everything at the end of the Wormling Horde on the note that it ended at for this was a little, there's a polar bear on the cover. What do you go into that thinking? Right? Like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, man. Yeah. We should start talking about some good stuff, but Hey, still continue with Oth Ulbert or Sir Borenson. Anything else? Um, no, not really. Cause that's the other thing is that for, for all that this is like its own book, there really isn't a lot that happens. Yeah, like, I think it's just a thing. That's just a symptom of the. Yeah, length. like this. This just again. I, this should have been chopped up in and distributed throughout the previous two books, instead of taking up an entire book itself. Because, because even saying like being the most generous I can be and saying like yeah, there's a compelling internal conflict with Oth Ulber now where he's given this charge by Gaborn to, to be a hero and but he has to like kind of conquer himself first. He doesn't even do that in this book. He's left, you know, like 
he, one of the last lines of the book, he felt lost, more lost than he had ever been in his life. You know, his mind was black and his eyes were blind with grief. Like that's, that's heavy. I like that. Like, yeah, that's, that's some nice writing, but also like, it's a crappy way to end a book. Oh, like we didn't get a full character arc for him in this book. Like I, I talked about earlier, you know, in the, in the first chaos bound episode where I was like, I expect this book will end with him getting to Rugasa and killing the Emperor Zultarak. He's not even close to that point by the end of this book. Dude, Avran. I mean, obviously... Yeah, we, we still don't have Avran. We haven't... <laughs> and, and we get, like, this random offhand reference that, like, Reavers are working for the Wormlings now. Did The last we that? heard about Reavers was that there was an army of Reavers marching on Rugasa. And then there's, like, an offhand comment in the towards the end of this book where it's like, yeah, Reavers work or work side by side with the Wormlings now. And it's like, what? When did that happen? How? I don't even you know. I'm so ready for Avran and the Reavers in the, the, the heart of the world at the end yeah. of Sons of the Oak. Yeah, because like the the way the Reavers and Avran are left at the end of Lara Bones is like the Reavers aren't actually evil. They're not really humanity's enemies. They were just being manipulated by by Yaleen, mm. by the one true master of evil, you know? And and so it's like, okay, and now that Avarin, you know, is there and, and the locust has been driven out and and she can communicate with the Reavers, you know, now she's going to kind of like lead a reformation of the Reavers. That's the impression that I was left with, at least. And so when you hear about a Reaver army marching out of the underworld and and marching on Rugasa, I'm like, Okay, this is a piece on the chessboard being set up for the final battle uh, at the end of the series, and everybody's going to be freaking out because they're Reavers, and then it's going to be like, oh, the Reavers are on our side now because Averin's with them, and now it's like, nope, they're working with the Wormlings; they're evil again. Hmm. Or is there some bamboozling going on that yet to be revealed? <laughs> Maybe I, w- I like to just. But if there is, like, state gotta of fancy. at least. And assume that you got to lay some groundwork for the right? bamboozling. Yeah, sure. You know, you That's can't true. just, uh, can't I don't just, know. Yeah. Bamboozling does need to have groundwork. That's a good point. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know, man. This, a lot of this is just, just yeah. It, uh, yeah. All right. Let's talk about rain. What did you think of rain? Rain. rain. I didn't like her. As a character, I could have completely, I think, completely done without her. I think, unless I, unless she did anything major that I'm forgetting. She's everything. She, what she, she did, what she was to Draken, and how much time we spent in his head thinking about Rain was so off-putting. Kind of ruined Rain as a character for me. Hmm. Okay. How are you? Uh, I I actually kind of liked Rain. Did you? Uh. She was probably my favorite point of view character in this book. What give okay. Um I I liked how I liked the journey she went on where she started off incredibly immature. And as the book went on like in I thought a believable pattern, she gained maturity and 
you know, like the, some of the decisions she made throughout the middle of the book, like on the ship where she decides to like separate herself from Draken to remove that temptation because they can't get married. Uh, Some of the decisions she makes in the town, uh, kind of overcoming her natural fear to explore out into Oxport and, and you'll make her way to the gladiator ring in, in the town hall. Um, Oxford and then was a, was a, an improvement, yeah. I think. Sorry, the, go, but the real thing to me was that uh, when she killed, um, oh, dang it, what's his name now? Who yeah, in particular? The the Wormling Rune Lord, be or the Y, Yakarga. Yakarga, thank you. Yeah, I kept wanting to say Yaziga, and I was like, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But she kills him, and that's like. That's a big step for her, you know, where I forgot she killed Yukaraga. I'm not I'm gonna be entirely yeah. honest. I completely forgot that happened. No, okay. All right. It's so like Crow Maldor, you know, like Crow Maldor. Like mm. killed his soul, like ate his life force, and then left him there for uh for rain and you know, and uh and then And called it by the way, you <laughs> crawled Maldor. <laughs> <laughs> last yeah. book or last book last episode i'm like there's gonna be some shenanigans there curl maldor and i thought they were gonna like maybe ally in this book allied no they just it was so temporary and it was done and now they definitely did not end this book on anything <laughs> resembling an alliance but so was, oh so like yeah this is this is what i'm like i'm just rereading the scene again like it's she's given the opportunity to kill yakarga mm-hmm. and she actually refuses it and it's Wolfguard who who like snatches the knife out of her hand. I forgot about Wolfguard. Um, but, but it's in that moment, it's her rejection of, uh, Chromaldor's offer. And like, to me, that was a big step for her because she goes from, you know, like a cowering, fearful girl in a tree at the beginning of the book to somebody who's like in the heat of the moment given a moral choice and makes a strong and informed decision in it. That's like that you've turned me that's on completely a, on rain. a tremendous growth in her. I wish she'd had like more to do at the end of the book. Cause she basically just is yeah. stuck in the town. Like everybody else. Um, I don't like her taste in men at all. Yeah. Draken. I'm not a big fan of. Draken annoys me. Unfortunately, and that's linked a lot with her characters, her taste in men. And it's like, girl, you yeah. can do so much better than this guy. Oh my god. Draken, should we just unpox, uh, unpox, unpack this box of just nightmare? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm at, the, at risk of devolving this episode into a tidal ver- uh, surge of verbal sewage. I just, I hate him. I hate everything about him. From his <laughs> stupid name, to his stupid words, to the stupid decisions he makes all the way to the stupid face I'm sure he has. Uh, <laughs> chapter 20, for example. Othelbear and Rain are missing, and Draken is insisting on going with Mirama to find them. He's just so infuriatingly focused on this one thing. Oh my god, I need to go, Rain. I need to find her. Oh my god, I need Rain. Oh my god, I need to be the one to find her. Oh my god. Just this. And then he, this smarmy, hypocritical prick has the audacity to think when Sage is throwing her miniature tantrum, 
you know, about Mirama and Bornson leaving. I suppose that I should not be surprised if my little sister is hard headed, Draken told himself, considering who yeah. we have as parents. I'm just Oh my god, I wanted to reach through that page so badly there. There's just nothing to this guy except hormones and frustrated tantrums for most of this book. A hundred percent. Like he, like while I think Rain matured a great deal over the course of the book, Draken absolutely did not. And that is frustrating to me because they did get married at the end of the book. And I'm like, they did not earn that marriage. Mm. Like, so what did they do to, to earn that marriage? Yeah. Really? It, and, and so what it comes across as is Murama having a premonition of her death and selfishly telling, telling them get married so that I can see my child get married before I die. Wow. That's a dark way to look at it. And that, and that it's like, <laughs> It doesn't matter what a wreck your marriage could be in the future because one of you is blindingly immature. It doesn't matter what your life is going to be like. I just want to see my kid get married. Even if, if not, even if without the baffling switch across viewpoints in the world and timeline, sort of with this book and then acceleration, Draken Bornson alone was enough in himself to kind of ruin this entire book for me. I don't know <laughs> what Farland was thinking with this character, but whatever it was, it did not land for me, for Rob Santos. It didn't at all. It, maybe it does for others. Maybe when I wrote this last night, you know, when I was only 80% through the book, I was just losing hope <laughs> for redeeming qualities. But now I finished the book and I'm just like, no, I didn't change. They got married. Yeah, I, Yay. But okay. And I think part of it for me as well is that I'm not sure Farland meant for Draken to come across as immature as he did. Like if, because there isn't, it isn't ever addressed. There isn't really a character arc for him where he overcomes this. Uh, so it feels to me like this is an incidental aspect of his personality. And so in Farland's mind, there wasn't a question of, did they earn this marriage? It was like, yes, they're going to get married. You know, they're, they're going to get married in this book. And it doesn't really matter because they're already good enough for each other as they are. And that's also not like, I mean, I may be wrong. Obviously, I don't know what he was thinking as he was writing the characters, but that's what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. We can only speculate, honestly. Some of us better than others. Definitely not on my end. I'm just throwing knee-jerk impressions out there. <laughs> I'm just this is coming so fresh out of this book. I don't know. Maybe on a few more rereads, it'll make make some more sense. I am definitely going to be rereading the series as a whole, and I will eventually, of course, get here. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it in the future, but I, I don't see it changing until I get the last book. And maybe I have another, you know, filter by which to view it. I don't know, but eh, well, yeah. only time can tell. I'll return. It's not, see, it's not that, that bad. That's the crazy thing is like, I still like when I think about the idea of rereading the Rune Lords, the idea of rereading the first five, six books is still attractive to me. I enjoyed those books a great deal, but, and even Wormling Horde, like I found things to appreciate and enjoy in the Wormling Horde this time through that I definitely did not find the first time. Uh, But Chaos Bound, I have like, I have no desire to reread this book. Mm, I still if the ninth book does come out, if Tale of Tales does eventually come out, I'll probably reread it just because I'm like, you know, I want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything important or, you know, making up plot points, which I apparently did in Wormling Horde. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. But, but yeah. Hmm. Now, I, I will say, uh, 
I did know Marima died at the end of this book. Oh, was that spoiled for you or like uh I I don't even remember how it happened, but I read that scene years ago. Like I got 45 pages into the book and then put it down and I feel like maybe hmm like I was I was like so annoyed with the book that I was like I don't even want to read it. I just want to know where we're at at the end. Yeah. So that when the final book comes out, I can just go in and read that. And I read the final pages and I was like, oh, Murama gets killed. What the hell? Like, you know, and that, that also annoyed me. Hmm. That annoyed uh, anybody. She's like, one of the, she's the best character in this entire second half, in my opinion. Yeah, you make a strong argument. You make Rihanna. a very, very, very strong argument for Rihanna. I'll admit that. <laughs> Valiant's fascinating, although a little simple for me, but you know. I don't know. With Mirama, yeah. though, the, the end of chapter 25, I want to say something positive here, finally. Okay. okay. The end of chapter 25, with the scene of her um, letting go of uh, yeah. Borenson. You know, I have the quote here. Othel Bear was leaving, forging ahead down a path from which no man could ever return, and Mirama decided to let him go. And it ends with, time to let him go forever, she thought, while tears streamed down her cheeks, and she added her water to the ground. Yep. Uh, She's in all of, she's not in all of them, but she's in so many of my favorite scenes. Borenson and, and, and Mirama, Mirama thinking about Borenson, it just. Mm. He does a good job generally in like departures and deaths. Uh, like I think back to Sons of the Oak and Iome's death. That was uh, a phenomenal scene. Yep. You know, and, and this was a similar kind of spiritual death. Uh, you know, it's her consigning her marriage to death. And that's really sad, you know? And I, I do agree. I think he did a, a strong job in that scene. And to to do a little bit of a, a, a spoiler, that was actually one of my three favorites. Yeah, scenes. sorry. I was just thinking, I was getting to the end of this to say, why did I say, why did I actually quote it? Because it's in my yeah. third favorite. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's my third favorite as well. Sweet, we were vibing on this favorite scenes already. Wow. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Yeah, it was good. Mirma Mirma's still good. Yeah. And I'm sad to see her go. Because I'm assuming I'm not gonna get any Mirma in the last book now, and that's tragic. Uh, well yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. once we get some so, some like necromancy or, or like spirit or some, world like, what if she turns into like a i don't know like a glory or something maybe she's like oh that'd be so cool i don't know i don't, <laughs> I, don't know. I don't think that's possible i don't know <laughs> i'm just i'm reaching for the dumbest of of <laughs> threads just to get Mirima back i just uh. her, what her do what do the children have water going forward? and forms in a in a like a an undying water wizard i don't what know what do the children have going forward we have sage who still has yet, obviously, to discover her Earth powers. Oh, yeah, hundred percent Earth supported. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, I mean, uh, the chapter twenty-three. At the first light of dawn, he, this is Draken, brought her to the town. Sage got off the boat and stood on the land, peering about at the trees and dirt, inhaling the scent of the forests above the village. The touch of the clean earth revitalized her, lifted her mm -hmm. spirits. She was happy to be back on land. You don't. It doesn't get any, any more obvious than that. It doesn't. Oh yeah, I mean, I I'm gonna go ahead and say that my like dual wizard prediction from last episode about uh, that it wouldn't actually be two wizards; it would just be one uh, one body, but two wizards in that one body with Tulra and Falian's minds twinned. I think that one's wrong. Uh, oh, I, I I think Sage is gonna be one of the wizards. 
Oh, wow. Wow. That is crazy to me. Okay. Yeah. That would be a uh, remarkable acceleration in, in her uh, capability as a, as a, as a wizard desk. Well, if we get Averin in here to teach her. Yeah, but how quickly can they do that? I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, how quickly did Averin do it? Uh, she learned she in like three days. She was eating reaper brains, dude. That's different. Yeah, but she learned in like three days. Okay. That's true. <laughs> she had Bornson, so I guess, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd be like learning from Ip Man. I would totally, I would do that. Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> I may be totally off on that prediction as well, but... Better than any uh, predictions I'm putting forward, besides the obvious fact that Sage is an Earth Wizard. That's just, that's not even a prediction. That's just granted, I think. Oh, so, yeah. I, what's going it's on? It's not like directly stated, but it's, she's got to be an Earth Wizard. Yeah. This order for Kroll Maldor to create and train, if I read this, or I should say at this point, heard this, 100,000 Knights Eternal. Uh, yeah, what? Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrifying thought, isn't it? Okay. <laughs> Talk about upping the stage. Grandiose. Uh, That's quite the acceleration in order of magnitude there in scale. Bruh. Wow. Oh my goodness. Like, all right, yeah. No no wonder they want every wormling to have a hundred endowed with some metabolism because it's gonna take like generations of of uh wormlings to create a hundred thousand nights eternal. You you said the magic words, my friend. Endowments of metabolism. Or as I have it. In my eight, notes here, eight endowments of metabolism. In my notes here, endowments of metabolism. I have it in all upper and lowercase <laughs> mixed up. Last book, I was complaining. I was getting tired of. <clears throat> pardon me, I'm getting a sore throat. <clears throat> I was getting tired of miles. All right, it's not the imperial system of measurement. That would be silly. The authors need to plot geographic distance sometimes two or three times yeah. per page. That was getting annoying. Now we have endowments of metabolism. Characters constantly calculating other other characters' metabolism yes. count. Yeah. He's breathing rapidly. Three or four endowments of metabolism at the least. With 100 endowments of metabolism, they'll take over the universe. With 10 endowments of metabolism, I could do this. With 20, he could do that. I did an ebook search, Drew, and everybody listening, I did an ebook search that cost me $14.61 because I bought the book just for that purpose. <laughs> and the phrase endowment of, metab- of metabolism returned 13 pages at five instances per page. Oh my gosh! So that'll tell you something. So uh, this was a miscellaneous Sorry, point that I petty. actually had written down, I'll but it, it wasn't. Go ahead. It wasn't specifically. Well, this is even pettier. Okay. Uh, it was like for for like a ten chapter stretch in the middle of this book, he was just fixated on the number eight. Everybody yeah. had eight endowments of metabolism, <laughs> or if they were going to guess, yeah. it was like the way he's moving. He must have at least eight endowments of metabolism. I'm like. Well, how, first off, how could you possibly judge that? Like, yes, that guy is moving eight times as fast as a, a normal human. Not seven, not nine, you. not ten. Yeah, eight times. You know, like, but it, it, it was like every single time uh, it was brought up that like a wormling had endowments of metabolism. It was eight endowments of metabolism. <laughs> mm, yeah. Do you think he was perhaps uh, a, a big fan of the first three seasons of Dragon Ball Z, perhaps in power levels? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. Something's there. I, I, I mean, I'm just joking. It, I'm completely joking. It, it does kind of fit, you know, it like obviously the story, the structure of the story is nothing like that sort of progression. Um, I don't remember the term for that kind of anime, but like, you know, leveling up anime. Yeah. Uh, the, the structure of the story is nothing like that, but the magic does, um, give you the same sense of 
tangible wonder. You know, when you can think yeah. about, wow, what would it be like to have 200 endowments? Quantifiable. Like that's a concrete number. Like, what would yeah, it be like yeah. to have a power level over 9,000? You know, uh, hmm. or as, as we get to like, <clears throat> you know, the end of Dragon Ball Z and it's like, what would it be like to have a power level in the like hundreds of millions? Oh, but right. you're talking <laughs> trillions at that point. Oh boy. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. When, when you get into like Dragon Ball Super and, and. No, 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 no. Then you're in quadri- uh, quadrillions and quintillions. Yeah. I, the math is there. It's oh, it's, is is trillions? Uh, uh, no, Super dude. Saiyan Super Saiyan Two Gohan is in the billions in, when he okay. defeats Cell, okay. and that's halfway through the series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, that is a huge area of nerddom on my part. I apologize for that. Everybody. I, I just remember like Super Saiyan, like Goku's Super Saiyan form on Namek at the end of 150 mil. That season. No, it was it was. Like 1.5 mil. No. Because Frieza was 1 million. Frieza was 1 million in his, in his original, in his first, first, oh, fourth transformation state, four. but then he went up 100 times past that. He got to like 120. Okay. okay. Now, I've just watched a couple I, of YouTube videos. Yeah, I haven't done the been, math. I just. It's been like 20 <laughs> years since I watched those episodes, but. I'm sure yeah, everybody okay. else is going to. Everybody has a different uh, definition and, and different thresholds of these terms and everything too i'm i'm just gonna hear so much of it now about how everybody disagrees on that yeah. i apologize everybody forget everything i said about dragon ball z it didn't happen okay it's all in but your the mind just like is drew's, there just like drew's fabricated uh scene with uh, was it yelly i think uh was it re- was it a scene with Rihanna? Well, well no the, the scene that i thought happened yeah. was uh well two scenes i thought happened one that there were like knights eternal raiding and encampment and killing all of mm-hmm. uh Rihanna's dedicates and the other one being uh, like news came to Rugasa that a wormling ar- or a reaver army was marching with a human yes, girl at the their head. Yeah. Okay. Ever yeah. Um, yeah. But no, the, this, <laughs> but back to the point, like this idea of like a tangible number based power level where, you know, you can, you can look at King Orden who has a hundred endowments and, and 40 endowments of metabolism in the, in the serpent ring. And then you look at Raja 10, he's got like tens of thousands of endowments of stamina and brawn and grace. And, and then he's, then he himself takes 42 endowments of metabolism to fight King Orden. And like, you know, there's, there's that, there's something you can grab onto. And as a reader, you can fantasize about what would it be like if I were there? You know, if I had X, Y, Z, uh, and, and it's, Dragon Ball Z also gives us that because we have normal humans at the beginning that like we find out like the power level of a normal human being, you know, like like a, a good fighter's power level, you know, is like 20 or 30. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's like, OK, so we have a normal human being <laughs> power level and we can extrapolate from there and, and fantasize, uh, you know, like, what would it be like if I could do this? Mm hmm. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, see here. Uh, any other characters in particular? Because we're kind of just miscellaneous points in, in future predictions at this point. But uh, yeah, so I, I don't I don't have any other character. Notes. OK, I want to talk about a couple of things that came out of nowhere. Then um, the orb of Internook. Did I miss that in the books earlier? Uh, Where the hell did this thing come yeah, from? That, there's mention of it as like, that's what the circle on the flag is. But there's the legends about it or what it can do. That totally new. Yeah, I was wondering if I just missed that because I do miss a lot of things. There's a few things in this book I've already that you've brought up. Then I went, oh, yeah, you know, 
I, I got major Dragonlance vibes from that. Oh, or like the, the dragon orbs. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> Never read. But oh mm. uh, yeah, Dragonlance. Maybe maybe someday we'll do Dragonlance on Thinking Out Loud. That, that might be fun. It's right on yeah. on our track, honestly. Um, the Rune of Will as well. Did I miss that somewhere? Uh, you did miss that. That okay. was in that was in Lara Bones when Bornson and Muramara are going south into Inkara to find Dalen Hammer. I'm glad I asked you. Uh, Thanks. Bornson is captured and they tattoo a rune of will on his leg and taken endowment from him. Okay. Uh, I was actually hyped when that came back. I was like, I was wondering if that was going to pop up because you know they had the uh, the revelation that the wormlings are in Karns. And so since Worldbinder, I was like, are we going to have a, an Incarn slash Wormling facilitator pop up who knows the Rune of Will? And we just got no mention of it in Worldbinder or the Wormling Horde. And then now here, I was like, oh yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to, we didn't bring up any of the epigraphs in this episode at all. Um, I just want to say the epigraphs were better than the last book. They weren't all from the Wormling Catechism. There were definitely a few inclusions. One of which really just frustrated me. Again, because it was from the Wormling Catechism. Do not yeah. fear mankind. They cannot withstand the might of Lord Despair. Okay. That was really underwhelming. Why are we even including that? But others were very good. I liked chapter 26. The epigraph there. And that was from Gaborn Val Orden. Sorry, what were you going to say? Go ahead. No, I'm just talking to myself. I'm... I'm- Trying to flip through my book and find this one. Okay. Heroes are not found in dreams and legends, but can be discovered all around us, walking down the very lane that you live upon. Look at the old man who labors mightily to gather firewood to warm his wife on a cold winter night, or the young woman who faces death to bring a child into the world. Heroism is not an anomaly, but the normal state of mankind. Gabor and Valorden. So beautifully written and so perfectly appropriate for the memory of that character. I just, yeah, these Gaborn uh, epigraphs are tight to use. Yeah, honestly, like, I, I was thoroughly underwhelmed by these epigraphs. Um, like, that Gaborn one was actually the only one that I that stood out to me at all. I believe uh, there was a mirror. Because, again, so many of them are just a like a snapshot of this is what this chapter is going to be about. This is the moral of the story, you know, like there were, there were all these uh, during the like build up toward the final battle here, all, all these epigraphs about like, don't make plans in haste, you know, and, and on the field of battle, the, the best warriors create their own opportunities. It's like, okay, so this is going to be a, a chapter about them like screwing up in their plans because they're being hasty. And this is going to be a chapter where somebody has to improvise on the battlefield, you know, like it, I, I feel like it didn't really add anything to the story, <laughs> you can... but, but he feels the need to do these epigraphs because it's been a structural conceit mm. of the series so now, far. You watched and enjoyed supernatural, at least of uh, the first few seasons of Supernatural as much as I yes. do. And uh-huh. the road so far, and the, the little snip at the beginning of every Supernatural episode, every character it introduced, every plot that it, it reminded you of, that had the uh-huh. same intention to remind you of what, you know, everything you need to know prime before this episode. You know, if yeah. you see Ruby or you see Bella, oh, they're going to be featured in this episode, right? 
It, what's the yeah. distinction there? Because that, that didn't that sort of didn't uh, jive with this book for you. The distinction there is that is it just I watched that on format? Netflix and I skipped the rest okay, of got you. every episode. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well spoken. Said like a true millennial. I like it. Mm, that is a fair yeah. point. I fully concede that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, are we ready for going to favorite scenes? Do you have any other uh, miscellaneous or future predict as I wrote with two C's? I want to talk about the series as a whole. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Um, That's fair. I was going to say that for after, but yeah. Because I, I keep like trying to reinforce the idea that really this is two different series, you know, that we have the Earth King series and the Science of the Earth series. But at the same time, if you open the book, Chaos Bound, the eighth book of the Rune Lords, it doesn't say... Nowhere in the actual printed books are the terms Earth King series and Scions of the Earth series printed anywhere. That was something I believe that came from an interview with with Dave Wolverton years ago. Uh, Interesting. That's if fair, you yeah. look at the, the inside page, Tor Books by David Farland, it's just the Rune Lords, Brotherhood of the Wolf, Wizardborn, the Lair of Bones, Sons of the Oak, Worldbinder, the Wormling Horde, Chaosbound. It doesn't split them up at all. Um and if you look at the series through that lens, uh, the idea of this being one unified series, it's really hard to not look at the second half of it and say, this is much worse than the first half. But if you can look at Sons of the Oak as the start of a new series, I think that, you know, like a, a start of a sequel series that helps solidify thematically and structurally the these last four books and it does make them better in review than if you're taking it as part of a sequence involving the first four books i would almost prefer that sons of the oak kind of be its own bridging standalone and then the new and you it, know it does in a lot of ways worldbinder because that's that that is the new series when the worlds collide and everything changes uh -huh. you know I don't know. I mean, I, I, I talked about it on some of those episodes where Sons of the Oak, uh, the the structure of it, the timeline of it, the writing style in it is completely unlike the first four and the three after it, where like it, it covers a way longer timeline than we're used to. It uses uh, an omniscient narrator in a way that none of the other books do, you know? Mm. And, and like you said, it bridges the gap where it's, you know, let's start off with characters you're familiar with, with Iome and Borenson and Murama. And, and then by the end of it, Iome is dead. Borenson and Murama are retired. These are our new heroes. And then boom, the next book, Worldbinder, you know, we get yeah. the new setting for the series. Um. So I, I do understand where you're coming from there. Like wanting that to be kind of its own hinge yeah. kind of a, seeing a thing. It, seeing it now that I've finished the, the, I shouldn't say the entire series, but the series to date, I, and I can look back at them as a whole. I might need a little more space to fully uh, place this more accurately, but I still think despite my, uh, my loathing of the omniscient narrating style, I think Sons of the Oak is still my favorite of all the series of all the books in the series. So that was uh, until we covered them on inking out loud. 
uh, that was my impression as well, where I was like, I think book five is the best in the series. Not and that was really. my opinion for I'll like by that narrative style, but... um, after rereading it this time. Uh, and, and especially after rereading the first four books this time with again, a more critical lens, I, I don't think Sons of the Oak is my favorite. Can anymore. I guess your favorite? Sure. Wizardborn. Yes. I nailed it. Surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> really? Come on. Yeah. Like, because for the longest time, Wizardborn was my least favorite of them. Oh, I don't remember yeah. that. Uh, it wasn't until we covered it again on Inking Out Loud oh. that that I was like, wow, this book is way better than I remembered. So that's that's the, the impression I'm remembering. And I, yeah. I just know, you know, Rod yeah, the, doing his thing in that book was just so dope. <laughs> yeah. The character arcs, uh, Raja Ten's arc, uh, Borenson and Murama's arc, awesome. I, I love Avarin as a character. Yeah. Uh, even though it doesn't have the the same traditional three-act structure as the the first two books do, um, I I think it was just a better written, more compelling, stronger story. I still think the first two books are really good. I think Brotherhood of the Wolf is probably my second favorite now instead of my favorite. Uh, mm. But and then surprisingly, I think Worldbinder might be my third favorite. Ooh, yeah. wow! I'd go. Ooh, okay. I'd go Sons of the Oak. I think I'd go Layer of Bones, then I'd go Wizardborn. Sons of the Oak, Lair of Bones, Wizardborn. Okay. Yeah, I think that's okay. the idea. Yeah. Lair of Bones is a really, really fun book, but it just, like, there wasn't enough to it for me to really put it on that level. Uh, like, uh, it was too fast paced. Yeah, it was really <laughs> if, fast paced. That makes sense. I love the premise of it. This, like, how. We ended, uh, I think, in how we ended in Wizardborn, if I'm remembering correctly. This has been three or more years now. But going into this, into the fourth book, into Layer of Bones, knowing that this is our premise, we are journeying to the heart of the world. Or yeah. we're journeying into yeah. the heart of, of the Reaver's power, into the one true master in that final confrontation. That alone was cool. And Avarin was going. I'm like, that is just, mwah, that's money for me. I love it. That is a, that's so compelling. And just the premise alone was enough to carry me through the insane momentum that that book had. Yeah, nice. Nice. So, yeah. Um, and of course, Wizard Born for all the things that you just said. <laughs> and Benisman's uh, epic diss. Oh, yeah, yes. I know you love that. <laughs> oh my God. I can plant a stick in the ground and by dawn it would grow into a better man than you. <laughs> oh my God. Get wrecked. Get wrecked. <laughs> I want, I want to see that meme. I want to see a freeze frame, and I want to see that the gangster song come on. And I, the, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the um, meme. Yeah. My God, and I want the, the sunglasses to come down and the thug life to go in next episode. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of. That's just so good. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Anyway, um, favorite scenes. Favorite scenes. Favorite so scenes. we already talked about our third favorite. Yeah, I want to bring up an honorable mention too. Okay. Chapter seventeen: The poor pig gets thrown at the wormling soldier. We were talking last episode oh, yeah. <laughs> about how just he's not he being Farland is just so not yeah. kind to animals in his book. You know, the sheer hilarity in that moment, not because of what's happening to the poor pig, but because of the fact that I was very uh cognizant of the fact we'd just been talking about a lot of this exact same thing. And then just seeing the just the poor pig that gets thrown at the wordling soldier. Come on, man. Poor pig. I just wanna I'll raise a drink a tea sip to that pig right now. <laughs> I'm gonna do poor piggy. Oh man. 
Also led correct, to a, kind of a decent one-liner from Othel Bear later. I came to town for a loaf of bread and a piglet. And what did I get? A war or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah not too bad. Okay, anyway. your second favorite though? Okay, Draken. <laughs> There's going to be a theme here you're going to notice. <laughs> Actually, sorry. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, the polar bear attack on the iceberg and the image of it clamping jaws down over Draken's face. Oh man! <laughs> I thought for a second he was surely a goner. I'm, I'm actually lying there. This the Miramis scene was my third before I, I replaced it with this, but I'm using it as number two now. I just the, the I thought he was. I was so happy for a second that he was going to be out of this book, and the sheer picture of it made me really happy. And it didn't didn't happen all the way, but it was still fun. So, <laughs> ah, yeah. All right, gonna, go ahead. Your second uh, favorite. Well, my second favorite was our point of view from the Emperor Zul Tarak. And his meeting with the Chaos Oracles and his vision of his impending death. Mm. Ominous. Very ominous. Yeah. Yeah. Because that was the only chapter in the book that gave us any progression whatsoever of the plot involving Falion yeah. and and everybody from the last two books. <laughs> Little glimpse of sunlight. Yep. Uh, okay. My so what was your scene? favorite? Tracking getting his ass beat by the Wormling soldiers. <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> Sorry. That's uh, it. I was going to have all three of my scenes were going to be something negative happening to Draken. And then I had that mirror in the scene. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to use that. And I'm going to at least mention that. Uh, my, my replacement number one was going to be whatever else happens to Draken that's worse. Uh, Draken that's worse because I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting something. <laughs> but yeah, <clears throat> I told uh, you I, was, I had a theme. And yeah, that was it. That cracks me up. I hate Draken. I hate Draken. Seriously, if we had done this. Uh, before episode 100, my my list of least favorite characters would have been slightly different. I'm not lying. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> not not that he's that evil, but how, how frustrated I am with him as a character. Yeah, how much you hate him? <clears throat> my God, when he was okay. bitching to his mom, asking her for a spell to put off his horniness, or a, or a yeah, cell oh, or a potion to put off his horniness, and saying how it was so not fair, dude. <laughs> oh my God, I wanted to slap. I wanted to slap him. So anyway. Spicy take from Rob. I'm sorry, everybody. We're about done. Drew. Okay. Well, my favorite scene was uh, Borenson slash Af Ulber visiting the Earth King's tree and Gaborn's erstwhile return. Mm. Yeah. It was was great having having, uh, um, Gaborn back just briefly. And... And I, I liked what it did in terms of setting up a character arc for Oth Ulber, even though that wasn't fulfilled. That yeah. promise wasn't fulfilled in this book. I liked Sage the way it set it, it up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed that scene. That was my favorite. There was also some, some great imagery, uh, some really pretty writing in that scene. Um, yeah. Hmm. Good stuff. It was. There were <clears throat> definitely a lot of great moments in this book. Yeah. But I, I think that's uh, the end of our talking points for the Rune Lords. Yeah, I think that's a wrap on the Rune Lords. Shall we talk about some drinks? Yeah, I haven't we'll been drinking anything back. particularly impressive. I've been continuing my theme with the teas. Uh, this week, I'm experimenting with two different teas. <laughs> I'm drinking one that's blueberry ginseng, which is nice. I'm not Ooh. sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Ginseng, and, I think. Is it ginseng? That sounds like so. a lot better. Yeah, that sounds way more uh, accurate and sophisticated. Uh, this current one that I'm drinking right now is just a green tea with some strawberry boost in it. And it's like, uh, it, it tastes like it, it's kind of nasty. I'm not going to lie. 
I'm not a big fan of green tea as it was. I didn't realize it was a green tea when I picked it up. I saw the strawberries on it and I was like, ooh, but then it turns out it's just a berry boost on a green tea. And honestly, it's yellow and it's got that like sickly sweet honey scent that I actually don't like. So it's really not appetizing to me at all. But the blueberry ginseng is very nice. Awesome. That Yeah, the blueberry, that sounds very tasty. Mm. Well, yeah. yeah. I make a liter and a half of it and I take it to work. Oh, nice. <laughs> In the thermos, yeah. Anyway, yourself? Uh, well, I am you know drinking my normal uh, elderflower tonic water from Fever Tree. Oh. Uh, but the beer that I want to talk about is uh, an Imperial Stout from Bear Republic Brewing Company in oh, California. Love my Imperial Stouts. Um, yeah, uh, this is another one that you know, I've kind of just had this floating around for a while. Um, there's the remainder from a, a four-pack from years ago uh as i recall this beer was very roasty it was uh like like really kind of like burnt coffee sort of flavor um sounds bold a little bitter yeah like re- strong flavor nice uh, 8.1% uh, but th- this goes out to uh, Rob's favorite animal in this book, apparently. Uh, this, this beer <laughs> is called Big Bear. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's right. I totally forgot about the cuddly bears. What the hell are they called again? Bear- Burrow bears. No, no. Well, Big Bear. This is the bear that tried to eat Dracon's face. Oh, off. I'm just a fan of that one in particular. I don't, I'm not a yeah. big fan of polar bears <laughs> in general. But that one in particular yeah. is, is, is my man. But he ended yeah. up being eaten anyway, which kind of sucks. <laughs> but I wanted him to yeah. eat, get a little bit of taste of Draken first, but nope. Oh, well. Yeah. I hope yes. it happens in the next book. But Big Bear Stout. Big Bear Stout. But yeah, I was also just thinking about the Cuddly Bears, the Burrow Bears. I forgot yeah, about Burrow those. Bears. Yeah. I'm going to sip to them. I'm just I'm going to take a sip of my own. I miss those guys already. I want more of them. <laughs> I want to play. Get you a little stuffed animal of a Burrow Bear. <laughs> a Burrow Bear. That's a bear that's so meek and cuddly that you can like trust a toddler around a stray. Like, really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Uh, they sound adorable. So, that's yeah. Great. That's a good note to end the Rune Lords on, I think. Positive thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, this has been episode 171 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, oh boy, next up, we are going to be, uh, actually, actually, I'm, I need to clarify here. Um, there are a couple of possibilities for what our next episode is going to be, uh, that's released to the public. Uh, it's either going to be Alphabet Squadron, the, uh, uh, Star Wars book, uh, which will feature myself and uh, our recurring Star Wars guest, John, um, or... It is going to be our first Book of the New Sun episode. Uh, the Shadow of the Torturer It's the first volume. It'll be covering chapters one through three. As you can tell from that, uh, we're going to be doing something a little different with Book of the New Sun. Those episodes are going to be uh, a bit more involved than normal. Uh, the book itself is a bit more involved than normal, so we're breaking it up into uh, more episodes than we typically do. Hell yeah, though. Hopefully, hopefully the vision I have in my mind for this this series uh, works out well, uh, and and you guys can enjoy uh, Rob experiencing uh, 
uh, a real Gene Wolfe novel for the yeah, first time. I'm refusing to do this over audiobook, by the way. I don't. I haven't even looked up if there's an audiobook because that would there offend me to even try. No, okay, no. I'm yeah. going to bring my e-reader with me to work. I'm holding it in my hand. Drew can't see it because my webcam's still still down, but I'm going to be buying it on my e-reader as soon as we end this call, or maybe even before, depending on how long yeah. it takes for us to wrap up here. But yeah, uh, I'm and, bringing that to work. I'm just making notes, dude. And I will I'm say. Here. Uh, doing the e uh, ebook version will also be nice because you get two books for the price of one. Uh, you'll get really? Shadow and Claw and then Sword and Citadel. Mm. Whereas the audio, I believe, is you know just the single Shadow of the Torturer, Claw of the Conciliator, Sword of the Lictor, Citadel of the Autark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's it's either going to be Star Wars or Gene Wolfe, uh, two very different things. But uh, either way, what we end up with next episode is going to be a lot of fun. And whatever we don't do next episode will be up shortly after. Um, as always, if you want to support the show, you can check us out on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. And uh, we greatly appreciate all the support we've gotten there that has allowed us to keep this thing going 171 episodes strong. Hell yeah. As always, I've been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.